1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet.
2: Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com
1: to start winning.
2: The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals, that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. Find me on Twitter at Yards for Gretsch. You can find me on Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his Zero RB Watch at Rotoviz, all of the other great uh, weekly response stuff, and, and and other work at Rotoviz. Obviously, the the Rotoviz OT Pod. You should also be listening to with him and Calm Kelly. Sean, how you doing? Good,
1: good. We know that it wasn't the perfect week for RV slash stealing signals, or let's just say stealing bananas, fantasy teams, but it was such a fun week. It only took me a very short period of time to overcome the sort of fantasy team grief and get into the writing flow for this week that had so many cool things happen. Uh, Ben you and I also did have a, a few decent things happen our team that we drafted with Davis that we refer to from time to time and and all the different discussions that we had the debates that we had the things that we thought we did right that we thought we did wrong some of those things change on a weekly basis I don't think it's a big takeaway for the week at all but we do have Nicole Hardman on that team and he actually did have a role for the Chiefs finally that wasn't terrible so he is an option Uh, That's kind of a fun team that has, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley looks like it could get through the Saquon Barkley injury. That was the big thing for me that was so devastating this past week. But the, the news has been, I would say, mildly to wildly optimistic even since then about how quickly he could return. That team has the Justin Herbert, Mike Williams combination, which... We don't expect Mike Williams to continue to be this good, to continue to get behind broken coverages for long touchdowns, but Mike Williams is a force in the 2021 season, especially the way Brandon Staley attacks and uses his stars to put pressure on opposing teams and win games. And so that one has been a lot of fun. A lot of other cool things happened this week, Ben. Uh, What were your reactions to this week where it wasn't necessarily our players, but a lot of cool stuff happened.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of really fun stuff. I agree with that. Um, You know, you, you had said on our show quite a bit this off season that basically that Lamar Jackson should be the the overall QB one, more or less. I think his explosion this week was, you know, obviously a major, major storyline broke all sorts of records. He set the all time record for completion percentage in a game with at least 40 plus pass attempts, It was literally Lamar's third career 40 attempt game. One of those is in the postseason. I don't know, you know, ESPN had tweeted that that stat out. I don't know if they're looking at regular season or regular season plus postseason. But it was only a second career regular season game with over 40 attempts because he had so much value as a rusher. He doesn't necessarily throw a ton and they've been run heavy the fact that he now holds the completion percentage record. I mean, I went back and looked like Drew Brees is a completion percentage God, right? Like he had 115 career games with 40 or more pass attempts, 115. And he only had over 80% completion percentage in those games. Six times his, his all time high was like 82.9%. And you had Lamar up at 86%. I mean, it's, it was such a fascinating thing. It's a record that Lamar Jackson has no business holding, I and mean, he's already breaking so many other records. He break, you know breaks the all-time quarterback rushing record in 2019. He's probably going to break his own record at some point in his career. So many records he's going to hold or set or has set that include you know rushing plus passing. You know the, the ability to run for X amount of yards and also still do these things as a passer. Lamar Jackson has been criticized as this like inaccurate passer. And he ends up now holding the all-time record in a single game at that much volume for completion percentage. Just an insane, insane stat for a guy like him to have. Like, you cannot possibly overstate how insane that is.
1: And then we know that the Colts have some weaknesses on defense. They suffered some in-game injuries that made things a little bit worse. I mean, and this isn't to knock Drew Brees because the whole thing that you're trying to do as – a head coach, as a schemer, as a play caller, and then as the quarterback are to take advantage of your strengths. We especially know that down the stretch of his career, where Drew Brees seemed to complete every pass he threw, those passes are not traveling a great distance in the air. And, you know, sometimes the air yard stuff can be a little bit overstated in terms of the importance because not enough nuance is brought. But I don't think that you can overstate the fact that Lamar Jackson is not throwing the ball short. And while he is not a particularly good short passer and he's not a particularly accurate intermediate passer, when you have a guy who scrambles and runs like he does and can take an advantage when the defense is pulled deep and is also one of the best deep passers in the game. I mean, the completion percentage shows it out when you're attacking deep like he is. But, you know, watching these passes, I mean, he needs to get credit for just how beautiful these deep passes are. And while the Ravens do have some issues with their offense now, I mean, in some ways there's no excuse for them to have been down so much that they had this amazing comeback. But they also have evolved the offense to where Marquise Brown looks fantastic. It's such a cool storyline that he had those three drops a couple weeks ago that were egregious and then comes back, makes that extraordinary catch in week four, and then just, Absolutely eviscerates the Colts in Week Five, and then we're back to where we were in 2019, where even if Mark Andrews doesn't have the volume that a couple of the other tight ends have, he is an unbelievable weapon in both reality and fantasy. And his routes have been up
2: this year. We've talked—I uh, don't know how much we talk about on the show. I've definitely written about it in Stealing Signals that his role has been more uh, impressive. It was clear from Week One. He, I think, in Week One, he ran more routes or played more snaps than he had in in his career. It was very clear. Uh, I went back and looked at that the other day, kind of how I approached that early in the season. Just kind of curious about if I was making that clear enough to to subscribers, how big I thought that was. I think I did. But one of the things I joked was that last year I thought Mark Andrews' role could expand when Hayden Hurst got traded because they had both played more in the slot and all these things. And what I wrote in week one was apparently all it took was Nick Boyle getting hurt. But that's like – you know, maybe it's, it has nothing to do with Hayden Hurst or Nick Boyle or whatever. The point is, we've been uh, identifying Mark Andrews as the guy that, if he was running more routes, I mean, for a couple of years now, if he was running more routes, because he's so good at earning targets per route at the tight end position, like he'll be, a, he'd be, he'd be a monster. And, and we saw that this week. That was just fantastic. Uh, somebody that I don't have a lot of. I was not very excited about. Yeah, regretting that. Regretting that at this point. <laughs> Um, Sean, the biggest thing I, I joked on Sunday in our show or joked or just commented or whatever, there was a couple things in the afternoon show that I had that wanted to talk to you about that we, you know, we, that you hadn't gotten to or, or what have you, but the biggest one I wanted to talk to you about was Cadareous Tony, because he's not really a, you know, a Roto-Viz type guy and he had just had another fantastic game. What's so impressive about what he's done is for a guy with a prospect profile that, um, you know, first of all, he wasn't always playing receiver, but in his first three years did almost nothing in terms of, you know, dominant rating or anything. This final season, he did play more receiver still didn't have that great of a dominant rating, especially for a fourth year player. The The thing that I always think about with that is like, this guy probably doesn't have the ability to earn volume at a very high rate. We do know that Tony is very explosive. We know that he's able to make guys miss. We know that he's incredibly athletic. You know, I, I a lot of time, a lot of times this offseason, thinking about Tony was going back to guys like Braxton Miller, who was drafted very high for his athleticism, but had played quarterback in college. Tony had had done some of that. Does he have the wide receiver skills necessary to earn targets was the question for me with Tony. And so the fact that he came out and earned nine targets last week was, a, or excuse me, the you know the week before this last one was was impressive. I, and I, you know, I wrote in signals this week that I, I kind of feel bad that I didn't emphasize that more because it did wind up dra- uh, picking him up in a few spots. I was kind of thought that, that people would be spending a bunch in fab last week on Tony. There, they weren't. We, we we got him on some teams on on with some very cheap bids. People weren't really buying in. Yet, you know, the ability to earn targets was the, the clear signal right away because we know the guy can do stuff after the catch. We know that he has the athleticism and all those things. It's just a matter of can you get the volume. And they had a ton of injuries in this game, the Giants. But Tony comes out – and gets what was it, 13 targets, 10 catches? I mean, just an absurd amount of volume again. And he didn't even run that many routes. His route, uh, route sure came down from the week prior. He all obviously got ejected. He throws a punch late in that game, gets ejected, loses some snaps there, but wasn't really a full time player even up until that punch. That, yeah, I mean, how exciting is it that you know you, you have this first round rookie, and, and, and even though he doesn't necessarily have the prospect profile that we look at, he's earning volume at such a high clip, he can do stuff after the catch we
1: should be buying into this guy pretty hard, right? We should. And one of the best skills a fantasy player can have is the ability just to come off of an incorrect view on someone quickly when there's enough evidence to the contrary to at least give you a pretty good sense that that might be the case. And then price obviously always comes into play as well. And so when we're looking at, someone who is out there on waivers, you need to chase these one week performances, right? Not be something where you're conservative and say, prove it to me, chase them. You can turn it back onto waivers if it turns out to be incorrect. But you mentioned that lacking the production profile. That's a huge red flag. And there are very limited numbers of people who overcome that kind of limit. But one of the things that we've looked at in terms of building dynasty teams and how you draft some of these guys a little bit later is that the players who do overcome it, almost all of them are extremely athletic, right? And one of the things that you also do see is that there's going to be this advantage to being a first-round pick in that you're going to have the opportunity. So whereas there are going to be some guys out there who maybe could do it and never really get the chance someone like Tony's going to get that chance. And it was even kind of a thing where, you know, in training camp, they're talking about, well, I mean, number one, he has some injury elements that that's going to always slow you down when you're a rookie, but they're saying, you know, how do we use this guy? And you think about who the giants have at receiver. It's one of these teams that's kind of flat. at receiver. they've got a lot of guys who are good, nobody who's great, but you look at Tony and you're like, just use him. However, <laughs> right. When he's going to make your offense better, uh, some, cool notes on him we're talking about a depth of target in that nine and a half range which will definitely work i mean that's not pure manufacturer touch at all you've got 91 yards after the catch showing that dynamism but one of the things that i liked about him and one of the reasons why i put him in to sort of all the bids after week four and and even then took him back down a little bit on some because. I, I'm a pretty enthusiastic player, Ben, and so sometimes I, I get these bids in, and, and I'll get emails from from you or from Pat or um, Blair. Blair is more or less, you know, do, do whatever in terms of the bids. But Blair is very calm. He, he's not someone who uh, is necessarily fighting you on these these bids. But I'll, you know, I'll get emails and be like Sean, you know, we do want that player, but maybe we don't need to spend that much, and and I move it back down so that we have something left for later on. But I mean, Tony really flashed in week four and now after we see what he did in week five he's got sort of this profile and again you're not expecting this to continue at this level when you have quarterback play that is not elite and when you have a guy who's young like this and even if he's really good is going to need some time to develop all of the different skills and experience all of those types of things but now you're looking at the before the before catch and the after catch profile that's not that dissimilar to some of the players that we really like and talk about all the time, like DJ Moore and Stephon Diggs. Man, it'd be nice to see some of that from Stephon Diggs at this point. But yeah, so I think that we have to be excited about his role in the offense. You mentioned the, the routes numbers going down. One of the things that Blair has shown in his research is that people are just so focused on efficiency these days and how things are going to regress? You and I have talked about how we want to bet on talent, and that big efficiency games tend to lead to more volume. And so, even though we don't expect him to go, you know, ten for, uh, one eighty nine and and one every week we expect his role to increase. And I think that that's important within the context of some of these guys are going to be coming back. Sterling Shepard's going to be back. Darius Slayton is going to play. And so people are thinking, okay, well, there's an efficiency issue. he can't be that good every week, he's not going to put up that many fantasy points over expectation every week for the rest of the season. And he's going to have more competition. Those things are true. We don't expect him to be this massive every week but he's going to be a fantasy factor. And it's one of the things that's kind of cool too about just watching the games. I mean, you watch them play in this one and there aren't that many players who appear to have video game like qualities compared to NFL guys. Everybody is just so athletic, but you do see it with Tyreek Hill. You do see it with one of our favorite guys that we're going to talk about in a minute in Rondell Moore. And these last couple of weeks, we've definitely seen it with Kadarius Toney.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that point about watching the games, it, it, we were talking a little bit before, and I, I talked about this in Signals a little this week, that I, a lot of sort of the, the data and, and role stuff and routes and all that is becoming a lot more known. Um, there's not like a, necessarily a huge edge in identifying that somebody is, is being used in a way that, you know, the market isn't necessarily knowing. I mean, that's especially true in, in places like DFS, um, where, you know, ownership has, has started to flow more towards, you know, role as opposed to just like production. And guys that are producing it sometimes are not even, you know, being rostered a ton, at least since, you know, maybe three, four, five years ago. It, it is interesting now that I think one of the big advantages almost is just watching the games and being like, this guy's good. <laughs> like, I know that that seems like a little bit simplistic. It's certainly not the way that that I came up playing fantasy, but. Kaderas Tony's routes were good. He was getting open in a way that was like very hard. You can see how he could consistently re- repeat that. I mean, you have to be able to apply this stuff to certain other things. You have to be able to apply it to, you know, long views, stuff related to the actual players. You know, is this a flash in the pan? Or are there reasons that we could make an adjustment? To your point, the data does show that when guys aren't necessarily productive and you always harped on this, you were early on Chase Claypool for this reason. It's because they have unique physical traits. That's something that Tony has, as you just mentioned. So we, we have to be able to apply these things. At the same time, part of the reason I said that was we have to understand that the consistency is really important. And I think that's why dominant rating has always shown. That's the way I've always thought about it. Dominant rating and production profiles matter. you got to be able to consistently earn volume, consistently get open. It's not about making that one fantastic play. It's about doing it every single snap. What Tony has done these last couple of weeks to me, just watching it, looks translatable to the ways that guys succeed in fantasy. That they are consistently able to get open. He ran some fantastic routes. Like I said, he also made a couple of nice plays on the sideline down the field, and showed some you know sideline awareness and some of those things. One was you know questionable. Maybe he went out of bounds. I think they reviewed it and left it as the call uh, on the field. But you know, a couple of very nice plays on the on the ball in the air and things like that. That. Again, you don't usually see in guys that don't have the, necessarily the impressive prospect profile and were maybe more of a gadget player in college. What what we're seeing, though, with Tony is like, okay, maybe Florida just didn't understand what they had and didn't use him well, and now he's being put in situations in the pros where he's being able to show that he does have a lot of these skills, and you can see it when you watch it. You can see that he's you know going to continue to create yards after the catch. Look at, Look at what he's done when you watch him in these last couple of games. He's going to probably continue to get open that, um, sort of deep whip that he ran where uh, was, you know, all over Twitter where he basically was looking like he was running a post and then he swung back out to kind of a deep out. I mean, he, it was a really good route and he was wide open for like a 15 yard, easy 15 yard completion. Cause he's so quick. He's so able to sell sort of that post stop and, and then break back out. It's all, I mean, it's unguardable against certain defenses. I mean, maybe if you're in a zone and you have somebody in that spot, but yeah, he looked just so, so impressive to the eye You mentioned more. want to talk about Rondell Moore for sure, made a ridiculous catch on the sideline in his own right, just a fantastic play to still keep his feet in bounds on that one, almost had another touchdown and was ruled out of bounds, James Conner punches that in, we're still seeing James Conner in the goal line role for anyone tracking the Cardinals running backs, but Moore, we, we talked about with DJ Moore in week one, the fact that they were using him in all these different ways. And then we've talked about him over the, the course of the season. And I'm, I'm making sure that we get our requisite DJ Moore reference in can't have an episode of stealing bananas without it. Uh, they, they used him in the backfield when Christian McCaffrey got hurt. We saw that a little bit with more with Rondale Moore as well. He got, I believe five snaps in the backfield in this game, six last week, first three weeks, he had four total. So these last couple of weeks, they've started to, to line him up in the backfield, 11 snaps now over two games. Uh, a lot more than they did in the first three games. He also ran more routes than Christian Kirk in this game, which I didn't expect that his role would expand at the expense of Kirk, who's been playing very, very well out of the slot. But it's been a big reason that Moore hasn't been able to play more is he's running a lot of his stuff in the slot. But, but in this game, Moore, maybe just because he was making plays or what have you, he winds up running more routes than, than Christian Kirk, which was a really interesting development, I think, for Moore, It's what we, to your point, talk about. The efficiency leads to more opportunity. You don't always know how it's going to come, but they are finding more ways now, slowly but surely, like we said, would would start to happen to get more the ball. He's very much on this trajectory that Juju Smith-Schuster was in his rookie season, then DJ Moore the next year, and then A.J. Brown the year after that, are the three best examples of guys since I've been running ceiling signals who – you know, early in the year, we are maybe playing 40% or 50% of the snaps, and then it started to tick up to 60 or 70%. And By about week nine, week 10 is usually the point where these rookies are in a full-time role. Moore looks like he's, he's trending that way. Every chance he's getting, he's making explosive plays. He's making it clear he needs to be on the field. It might even be quicker for him. It might be very soon that he's playing 70%, 80% of the snaps. But yeah, very encouraging stuff, just small stuff. But I, I thought encouraging to see them using him in different ways.
1: It was. And that sideline catch was so amazing that it just, it really gives you confidence that they will expand the role. I think that, I mean, the coaches get to see these guys in practice all the time and you assume that they're doing some of these types of things, but big plays in a game are going to stick in the head. We're all emotional beings. And when you can put those kinds of plays in a big moment, it changes how the coach thinks about a player. Right. And so one of the things that we're looking for here is manufactured touches, but also regular wide receiver touches. In order to become the guy that we want him to be, he's got to be just uh, a normal wide receiver. And that play illustrates how he's not just someone that you're trying to throw the ball to behind the line of scrimmage and then let them get off and run. This Cardinals receiving core was really interesting through 4 weeks because you have this contrast between what we came into the season thinking and also how we think things will evolve and what's actually happening right where you have DeAndre Hopkins who led in snaps and routes, uh, AJ Green tied with him in targets, Green has this tiny edge in yards, Christian Kirk has a tiny edge in air yards, talking about, you know, just the whole team and then Moore even though he is way back in terms of snaps and routes, you know, he was tied with Kirk and targets, targets, and he's got these just crazy after-the-catch numbers, like 193 yards after the catch. Now, again, all of those things kind of make sense with the profiles of the different players, but then exactly as you're talking about, we expect the this passing offense to evolve in a way where it allows DeAndre Hopkins to reemerge as a superstar because defenses can't key on him, and then also we expect Rondell Moore to emerge really as the number two and someone who can be just so dynamic in his own right. Now, these running back touches, I think, to an extent, are tied to Chase Edmonds not being 100% and them not being able to get him some of the plays that they would normally have gotten him. Uh, We've kind of talked on the show, I think, about how just watching every once in a while, you'll confuse the two guys, which is a real compliment to Edmonds because Moore is just operating at such a different speed that the fact that Edmonds also looks you know occasionally at that level really speaks to how explosive that he has been but yeah i mean the the touch that Moore gets that sets up the james connor touchdown i mean james Conner, you know if if it's not one of the absolute stars to lead the nfl well i mean i guess that goes without saying let's not eliminate the stars let's just say james Conner is going to lead the nfl in rushing touchdowns right i mean maybe we get to the 25 26 something like that i think people are going to hear that and say derrick henry still exists but he doesn't exist in our world <laughs> no he he doesn't. We were both joking that. Uh, well, I actually did watch the game, Ben. That's one Ben has has put to the side, and so Ben doesn't know that Lavispischnell almost scored two touchdowns, and then we'd be saying, "Oh, you know, we were we were right about him." Uh, no, but but it's very exciting to see this game because it shows all of the different ways that more can impact a game. And Ben, I think you're exactly right, or at least I want to believe you because it's something that I also believe that another month from now. And when you're talking about the big games that happen in the fantasy playoffs, people are going to be talking about Rondell Moore. People know that we like him. We do get offers in our leagues, some of the ones that we have together, some of the ones that we have separately where people will offer to trade us Rondell Moore for like five future first-round picks. And you know we just have to just politely decline because five first-round picks is too many. But if anyone wants I to won't. trade us Rondell Moore... <laughs> At a decent price, at the market price, we will snap him up in a heartbeat. It was an exciting game for the Cardinals. But within the context of this was a weird one, I think the people who are higher on A.J. Green and Christian Kirk are going to say, well, guys, look, I mean, the Cardinals didn't actually score in this game. So uh, that's also an issue.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, that's a fair point. When And when we talk about that, when teams don't necessarily do well, then, you know, I mean, it, like... <laughs> It really is so simplistic, but like, is the player doing well? And is the offense looking good when the player is doing well? Um, It's sort of a point that we made, we made about uh, Clyde Edwards, a layer who's now unfortunately injured, but like when the chiefs were using him and he was producing, their offense was doing worse. They were losing games. That's not the way that's not their identity. That's not the way they want to play. They're they're sort sort of being forced into that based on the way defenses are, are are taking away the things that they actually want to do and, and dropping into coverage or not allowing the deep passing. And so, yeah, that could be a concern. I don't think that should be a major concern for more for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, he was not the reason that they didn't produce. You know, like his plays were the ones that were actually helping them, and everything else was the stuff that wasn't. Uh, And then number two, you know, something we have to mention is Max Williams goes down. He's been playing a pretty big role for a tight end for the Cardinals. You know, we haven't seen Kingsbury do a ton of the like. He did some four wide wide receiver stuff last year was up there with the bills, like the most in the league, but that's not like a a massive percentage of the snaps uh, or it wasn't last year relative to whatever his first year was, was it 2019, two years ago? I guess that's right. They came out of the gate running four wide at a a crazy high rate. It was like 80% of their snaps. Right. And so it was like every single play and it wasn't working. It was causing some issues that they didn't have tight ends on the field. They were getting pressured too much. Their offense didn't work right away in Kyler's rookie season. What I think um, we might see now is is more of these four wide sets now that Max Williams is not involved, that they get more on the field that way as well. It'll be interesting. I mean, they they might go to like Daryl Daniels or Demetrius Harris. They've used some other tight ends a decent amount as well. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how their offense will evolve. Obviously, it's been really clicking. And in this game, it wasn't as good, to your point. This was like the first sort of average game for Kyler Murray. I think it's hard
1: to say that was based on more, though sure sure and he was a little banged up in the second half of this one had uh, didn't seem like his right arm was a hundred percent and we know that for any quarterback and, and definitely we saw last year with murray the huge splits in multiple ways uh all of them going negative when he was not a hundred percent out there playing so hopefully that will just be a one-week blip and he'll be more or less back to normal next week then after the break, we will get back to – we have some interesting RB info to run through and I'll get your take on whether or not uh, fantasy participants who actually have these guys could be willing to sell some of the superstars.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So Ben, our main theme through, from the first episode until now, is that fantasy participants should be emphasizing talent even more than they are. And that while you want to understand role, and you do a great job of explaining this to your readers, you do want to understand opportunity and how all of that interacts within a game, within a team, and then translates into fantasy. And one of the reasons why I enjoy talking about expected points and fantasy points over expectations so much, understanding how the fantasy points come out of that, it's not as simple as just selling the players who do well. Because in many cases, the players who do well are doing that because they are at a different talent level than other guys. And so we have a couple of of people that we can discuss in that light now. And one of the things is that even though we talk about talent all the time, I feel like the only guys that I have any regrets about for 2021, or that I feel like through five weeks, you could definitely make the case that I have missed on are players who are huge talents. And my only real concern was just that their profile still didn't translate into fantasy in quite the way That they would need to to be values at their price again we talk about price being the other thing that you really have to understand and make sure you emphasize so we look at a couple of these cleveland browns backs obviously you've got derrick henry you've got austin eckler these guys really blowing up we've talked in a previous show also about the elite efficiency numbers for chubb and for hunt but these guys come in number one and number two in terms of specifically as rushers not getting into the receiving portion yet but number one and number two, in terms of fantasy points over expectation, we know that that probably isn't going to continue. At the same time, we know that they're going to be better than average, right? I mean, you're not expecting these guys to go down and suddenly have a bunch of bad weeks that flatten out their overall numbers. So when we're looking at their situation, and this is a game where you know Chubb runs for 50, a 52-yard touchdown, Hunt gets a couple of more rushing touchdowns. One of the things, if you have Chubb, it's got to be pretty devastating to know that not only is Hunt taking all of these receiving touches, but he's also getting into the end zone as a runner. They rate number 15 and number 16 in terms of total expected points. They're much higher than that in terms of their actual ranking. They're both clear RB1s. They've had the seventh easiest schedule to this point. They have the 10th hardest remaining. You know that doesn't necessarily make them a clear sell either, but it's something that you want to keep in mind. Uh, Derek Henry has had a very soft schedule to this point. And I'm not in any way saying that that's the reason why he's done so well. He obviously, again, is a star, but would you be looking to move? I mean, with the Browns, we have these multiple issues of number one, you know, you got the good schedule, you've got the elite efficiency, and then you've got the timeshare. And yet, I mean, they're just so good. And the Cleveland Browns, even with Baker Mayfield injured, are moving the ball, they're scoring points. I mean, these guys could be the third or fourth best running backs in all of football.
2: Yeah, they really could.
1: Um, it's interesting,
2: this week <clears throat> Hunt had the two short touchdowns. Chubb actually had three green zone touches. Hunt only had the two. So it was really you know purely efficiency in that regard that Chubb didn't score on any of his three touches in close. Hunt scored on both of his. Uh, the week prior, I believe, was similar. They had the same number, and, and Hunt was the one that punched in the short TDs. But for the season, it's five to four on touchdowns. I mean, Chubb had some – In the first couple of weeks and then has been kind of quiet on the touchdown front over the last three other than this long td run here in week five i they're tough because we talk a lot about looking at the way the teams use players and what they want to be and one of the things with the browns is they have a really high rate of running the ball in the green zone and in in, you know the the touchdown scoring area it's not a coincidence that both of them are sort of dominating the touchdowns in this offense that you know th- this is like a, an analytics heavy forward thinking team and one of the things that that some of the analytics have shown as I understand it let, you know let me put a caveat on it I'm not you know doing a lot of this research myself but is that running especially in close that's that's like one of the most important point you know spots to use the run game it actually becomes the preferred option when you're like down inside the five yard line from like a success rate standpoint and all those things, it's tougher to throw in those really cramped quarters. The Browns seem to really emphasize that in close and they're so effective at it. They have a good offensive line and they have two really talented runners. You don't necessarily see that going away. It wouldn't be that surprising. I mean, look, you go, you go back last season. If I, if I'm not mistaken, they both had double digit touchdowns and no one else on the Browns had more than four, I think is what it was like. That's where we're trending again this year. It's not a one, a one season thing or, Or any of that, yeah. They had 12 and 11 TDs last year. Yeah, I had that right. No one else had more than four touchdowns on their offense, and so you know that's a reason that like I'm not buying Odell Beckham, for example. That he doesn't look like you know the key part of what the Browns necessarily want to do in a way that's going to generate a lot of fancy points. He's clearly underperforming his his volume, but it's not. He's going to have some big games because of that. He's getting air yards and all those things. This week he didn't get a lot of targets, but he's not. I, I don't think, you know, going to hit in a way that would justify going out and trying to buy him right now, so to speak, these backs, I think are going to continue to score touchdowns and it won't be as extreme of a split as it has been so far, but this is the way that the team wants to wants to do things.
1: If you're sitting on Henry and Eckler and Chubb and the, the situation with Chubb and, hunter actually a little bit different and that part of it is interesting too but you know they've been extremely efficient i've talked you know with colin and ot about eckler and how you know his receiving efficiency in multiple seasons has really been just off the charts and at some point you definitely and it's not like we're reluctant to do this and we talk all the time about how you know he's one of our favorite players he's one of my favorite players and you know you can do worse than just simply draft your favorite players And if they don't end up scoring enough fantasy points, then at least you've got your guys. I wish I had done that a little bit more with Eckler. Now the DeAndre Swift move has worked out too. And so when we talk about price that matters, but are are you selling any of these guys because of efficiency or are we just leaning into the talent element of it? We know that Henry is not going to be able to maintain that level of touch volume but you don't have to maintain that level to still be a huge impact player. I mean, he could drop from 27 fantasy points a game to 20 fantasy points a game and still be a league winner the rest of the way. And, and really I think
2: that's one of the bigger things I talked about this year is, or this week in stealing signals as well is that, you know, in the off season, we had this big tier outside of, you know, McCaffrey and cook for some people right there. Kamara later in the offseason we got very excited about but you know wherever you started this tier it stretched all the way to like running back 15 and there was you know Sean we talked a lot somebody here is going to hit what we're seeing is a lot of those guys are not actually hitting and and I think broadly running back like this is not looking like a season where running back ceilings are are crushing there's different reasons for that some of that is just the way some of the offenses are trending some of it is like look at Kamara he's just in a tough spot right now. I think the saints will probably open up and things could get better for him, but we're not seeing a lot of like clear signals from any of like from this big, big group of potential, you know, ceiling running backs that like they're going to be superstars. And if that happens, then to your point about Derrick Henry dropping from 27 points per game to 20, like 20 points per game could wind up being very good still. Right. And still be a monster, uh, a monster performance in the context of what that season looks like. And I'm not sure that that's the way it's going to stick. I'm sure, you know, I still expect some of these guys to, to wind up looking great, but when you go down the list, you know, some I'm looking at the overall point scoring leaderboard right now, right now, Najee Harris is in third. A lot of that is just based on receptions. There hasn't been a lot of efficiency there. Ezekiel Elliott's fourth. He's been great, but they've also been in some game situations. I think that have pushed them more towards the run. They do want to be more of a pass first team. you UF Pollard there this past week, uh elliot and, and Paul are combined for 40 touches. That kind of thing isn't going to happen all the time. You know, you go back to like the Chargers game. Chargers were taking away what Dallas wanted to do. It was kind of like the Clyde Edwards alaire point. They had to run the ball sort of. They're running effectively, and Zeke looks great. And I want to say all of that, but I'm I'm not expecting Zeke to continue to produce at the level he has the rest of the way. And he's only at 19.1 points per game. Uh, you know, DeAndre Swift is right behind Kareem Hunt. They're two guys that, you know. I still think Swift has a ton of ceiling, but I'm not sure that he's going to be that guy. Aaron Jones comes up next, has the one monster game. We're also seeing A.J. Dillon involved. Kamara comes next. James Robinson. I like some of these guys. We get down to Jonathan Taylor, who I looked so explosive on Monday night. I like a lot of these guys. Uh, Gibson, Mixon. You know, Now I'm at running back 13, and you know, Saquon's down at running running back 17. He's injured again. All of those names we we thought had ceiling profiles. There's not a ton in there that you're like, yeah, they're hitting their ceiling, or, or there's imminent – evidence that they're going to hit their ceiling other than Henry and Eckler, basically as the two that really, really stand out. Uh, and some of those other guys that are up near the top, Najee Harris, sure. Like has, has looked great and could, could have a, a ceiling, but it, it's tough to, to, you know, I, last week in ceiling signals, I suggested that I probably would be selling Derek Henry if I had him anywhere. I don't, and I don't have that question because they're using him over 30 touches per game right now. And it's, Look, I understand he's different. I've been comparing him in some of my conversations to Jim Brown this week. Jim Brown, over the course of his career, I don't believe ever missed a game. Led the league in rushing yards uh, in all but one season of his career. Led the league in rushing attempts. Led the league in all of these stats, which is sort of similar to what Henry's been doing. And a big reason Brown did that, he was a man among boys. It's so crazy how much Henry is a man among boys in 2021, where we were just talking about earlier on this show how much better athletes are these days. I mean, Henry is legitimately one of the best athletes of our, of our generation, maybe of all time. It's kind of like, I think that in, in a bizarre way it goes under the radar simply because he plays football and maybe he's not like, you know, he's been a polarizing fantasy football option and, and some of these things, but what he's done in terms of handling the workloads he has and everything is just so different than anyone else in an era where it's so hard to be that different. It's, it's amazing. Like it's truly, truly amazing. This guy's a Hall of Fame player. Um, at the same time, last year he was at about 23, 24 touches per game. The year before he's about 21. They've got him up over 30 so far this year. I've adjusted my priors on Derrick Henry, but like, can he maintain that is the big question. That's my concern. I don't think there's anything that's uh, problematic about whether or not he will produce enough points in the 2021 landscape to be good at fantasy if he's on the field. The question is like, is there a point at which Derrick Henry can't Keep doing this, or is he literally Jim Brown? I mean, that's that's the only comp I can make where he can go his entire career, Jim Brown, and and continue to just lead the league in rushing every year. It seems impossible for a player to do that in 2021. And I mean, I, I my all of everything that I know about fantasy says this guy has to wear down at some point. They've leaned on him heavily late in seasons in the past few years. They're leaning on him so heavily early this year. We have 17 games. I'm I'm concerned about things that every time I've ever been concerned about it, he has absolutely made me look ridiculous. And so I'm almost like hesitant to even
1: say everything that I just said out loud. Well, those are good points. And uh, I think that there's, I also like the fairness of it of saying, you know, look, I, I do have to keep adjusting because, you know, he's proving the things that uh, his most ardent defenders have suggested and just what his you know his own talent level suggests from time to time even more than being worn down or in addition to i think we have the issue of the titans aren't very good and you don't get to play the jaguars every week and so they are going to face some game scripts that are not nearly as favorable for giving him that many touches and i do think that the sort of mild emergence of mcnichols i think the potential <laughs> And maybe this is one where should just let it go. But with them having designated Darrington Evans for return, I don't think the receiving touches that he got early in the season are likely to continue in part because they do need to continue giving him all those rushing attempts because he's so good in in that area, right? And so some of those things will bounce back a little bit more toward normal. I was looking at this week in one of the articles that Najee Harris, because he's got that massive workload and his share of the team opportunities is so high that his average ep numbers are actually just the tiniest fraction ahead of henry but because of efficiency he's given up 44 points right and so that's where the big gap comes now some of that is going to bounce back but in terms of the overall numbers i think the gap is going to widen right so henry is not going to be as efficient and harris isn't going to be as inefficient but the gap between those two guys is going to continue to get larger in terms of total numbers as we go forward. So I think Henry continues to pull away, you know, in that kind of category. You mentioned all of these guys who are kind of in this big tier. And one of the things that happens, and it's, you know, it's always frustrating when it kind of happens to your guys, but one of the reasons why we talk about zero RB or modified zero RB, and then just the bigger thing of having humility overall is that you don't know where the injuries are gonna come. And probably the four best guys, in terms of the really big ceilings are McCaffrey Cook Camara and Barkley well 3 or 4 of those guys have missed either multiple games in some cases left games early if you have McCaffrey if you have Barkley and they go down in the first quarter then not only do you not have them for that game but you actually started them so it's not like just a game where you can't put them in but you actually put them in for a zero or for a low number and so Fantasy participants in that situation are having to deal with that, but it has been kind of a season where some of those guys that we like the best have been hit on some of those things, and then you have people like Clyde Edwards-Alaire who just was not doing what we needed to see from a profile in any way, shape, or form anyway. I mean, those two 100-yard games that he has as a rusher, not only are not that valuable but but appear to be pretty fluky you know so we have some of those things in addition to the injury there but i think when we come all the way back around to it the the main takeaway here is that the browns running backs are good Derek henry is good austin ethler is good and cordero patterson is the key to the 2021 season
2: yeah i mean patterson is the is the lock button the dude's now playing out wide with regularity i know they were out uh you know down a couple of receivers, but... You're getting the the slash roll on top of it. You're getting the the running the true running back handoffs and some of those things, but you're also getting air yards. You're getting downfield targets, which is, uh, I mean, who knows how how long this this you know roller coaster will last? But they're not not roller coaster. You know, I meant like thrill ride will last uh, in terms of of Patterson, who does go on a buy this week, but. I'm starting that dude every single week where I have him. There's, there's no question. I mean, I understand that from like an underlying efficiency and all of this stuff, there's, there's regression cases, but like, don't get that twisted. His, his usage has been fantastic. I did miss all of the, um, all of the injured players because I was sitting here going down the, the scoring. And I think you made some really strong points about that. I, I think as you were saying that part of what I was thinking is like when Christian McCaffrey comes back, he's going to be a monster. In, in fantasy again um if dalvin cook can get right he can be a monster camara if things start breaking his way can be a monster you know one of the things with camara this past week he has a multi-touchdown game he gets eight more targets sort of concerning that you know we we talk about talent mattering we talk about efficiency mattering but one of the reasons i look at the high value touches so many more touchdowns are scored inside the 10 yard line especially inside the five and you, know, you can go all the way down to the one obviously that's where the, the most touchdowns are scored both of Kamara's touchdowns come outside the green zone. Their explosive plays, that is just great evidence that Kamara is good. It's great to see and great to have the ability to do that. At the same time, this offense is not, you know, the, the old Saints offenses with Breeze, they get down in there, they move it slow, they throw underneath, they get down into the red zone and into the green zone, and then they give the ball to their running backs. And Kamara used to just rack up green zone touches. And right now what their offense is is deep shots only, basically, when they throw. And otherwise, they're actually sort of struggling to move the ball into, you know, situations where Kamara could rack up a lot of green zone touches. So I actually, you know, referenced in Ceiling Signals and called that sort of noise that he had this multi-TD game, at least in the sense that it's not like, oh, hey, great, Kamara's back. He had eight targets and two scores. It's not, you know, those were both explosive plays. Good to see, not sustainably easy to do every single week. Very very much more promise promising to see the uh the eight targets i'm very
1: excited about the the receiving bouncing back for him this might be kind of a silly question because you know it's it's very specific and maybe people with dalvin cook and alvin camara are not necessarily even looking to make trades with those guys and and maybe not for each other but we had some interesting information on both of those games you go into the numbers there with camara i did think it was encouraging And then you look at what Alexander Madison did, and this isn't to criticize Madison, who did actually come through with a big game. And I thought that his fumble, probably he should be ruled as progress having been stopped. You know, either way, you kind of look at that. But again, there's just such this big contrast with how he looks versus how Dalvin Cook looks. And one of the things you take from that game and how valuable the touches were for Madison is that they're willing to do that even with somebody who's not Dalvin Cook. And so then you put Donald Cook back in there and you're like, okay, well, this guy is going to have a workload that is insane. Would you be interested at all in trading Cook in order to get Camara, knowing that maybe Camara obviously seems to be at least a little bit healthier? We think that Cook may be back to 100% or close to that soon. But I guess I I, I thought in week, week three and week four, right? Jameis Winston really struggled to the point where, I mean, I really almost felt like they need to go with this being a Taysom Hill offense where they really try and just build it around him and Kamara getting almost all the touches in weird, you know, non-normal NFL types of alignments. Winston looked better in week five. You have a little bit of that with the Hail Mary that maybe looks, makes things look a little bit better than they would have just if you remove that play. But Traquan Smith, supposedly a couple weeks from getting back. Michael Thomas, we don't necessarily have clarity on him, but he could be a second half of the season type of weapon. With the targets that Kamara got last week, is there any enthusiasm in the back of your mind that says, like, this offense, when we hit the fantasy playoffs, could actually be a pretty fun offense, with Winston kind of being halfway in between what he was with the Buccaneers, where he was amazing for fantasy, terrible for reality, and what he is right now with the Saints, where they're basically just saying, our defense is good, Alvin Kamara is good, please don't lose the game for us.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think things could open up for the Saints, but you kind of, I mean, we know that Thomas is coming back, but you kind of know, like, you're kind of saying things need to change for that to happen, and meanwhile, you kind of know that, in Minnesota, like you said, I, I felt the same way about Madison, in both of his two starts in the last couple of weeks doing what he did that like, you know, these could have been Cook points if he was just healthy. Right. I think I would take cook. When you talk about the trade, the one for one trade, like we don't need the change in Minnesota. That is what they're doing. It's, it's looked pretty favorable for cook when he's healthy. Obviously I'm concerned about the health, but for Camara, it's like, we need something to improve. It's looking more like, you know, this early part of the season was was why we got a little bit more excited about Kamara late in, in draft season. Not not specifically why, but was part of it that, you know, they went to Winston and that meant that it wouldn't be the Taysom Hill frustration, no targets to the running back. Thomas is out. They're going to have to run the offense through Kamara. All these reasons that things are actually sort of moving positively for Kamara in August. And the fact that that early in this year has not translated to like a, a real running back ceiling, he clearly has – all the talent in the world but like the this is one where you you need both right you've talked about you've been talking about this in the in the show and i love the way that you use ep to look at both this, the size of the role but also can they be efficient um the harris henry uh, comparison you made earlier so fantastic in, in understanding both of those things Khmer, i expect will continue to be efficient he can't be great in ep right now i haven't looked at it but like and if he's not now is like how
1: how great is he going to be later So Kamara and Jonathan Taylor actually sit in fourth and fifth, not quite to the level that we were hoping, but still in that range where you can have some enthusiasm for them. And if they really emerge, then everything changes, right? And so we have them actually ahead of Eckler, but Eckler already has 41 fantasy points over expectation i don't say that from the perspective of oh he's gotten lucky which i think sometimes is the way people look at it like he couldn't do this again Austin Eckler is fantastic and the chargers are going to continue to put him in positions where he can do alvin kamara like things i mean it's almost like these are equivalent players at this point kamara kind of right at expectation and that shows you that he's being limited by the offense and one of the reasons why i think as the season develops that they can emerge a little bit there so he's sitting there at 87 points total. DeAndre Swift actually a little bit above him. Uh, Swift playing out as we had hoped. There's been a lot of garbage time to it. We said garbage time would happen. We hope it continues to happen. But Harris and Henry up there at the top, both of them at 110 EP on the season. And again, just it's interesting this contrast where Harris is a minus 20, Henry is a plus 24. And so you see again there how talent does matter. Now, we had talked you and I about how we wanted to construct our teams. And we did get that one Harris team. We moved him up down the stretch because I mean, this is one where I think actually we just were almost exactly on it in terms of the role is going to make him someone who has this mid second round value. The combination of like his skill set with what they do offensively means that he's going to underperform that and yet still be valuable. The thing with Harris is that he has had some games in the last couple of weeks, has individual plays where you kind of get excited. Juju now lost. That's a bummer. But Claypool may be starting to emerge. I guess I I, I watched this week with the Steelers and I have a little bit more enthusiasm for Roethlisberger, the receivers. Can they move the ball? I still think that Fryermuth could be someone who – maybe not even from a fantasy perspective, but from a reality perspective over the second half of the season could help this offense be better, you know, convert some of those key third downs, keep the offense moving, keep the drive going so that they get down into the red zone. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Harris is able to pay off this role even a little bit more. There's a chance for some extra uh, touches at the end of this game last week, if he doesn't you know, have a little trouble with cramps, but uh, Those elements of it kind of playing out. I do like to see Kamara and Taylor at that point because it does reinforce a little bit what we're talking about in terms of role. And I guess I just like the talent for those guys so much that I think we will see that manifested in efficiency a little bit down the stretch. And then maybe Ben, to wrap up with Taylor, one of our guys, we started the show with him, kind of finishing the show with him. I don't expect the Colts to have too many games where they have multi-touchdown leads that they're kind of trying to protect. One of the most encouraging things about this game, you say, well, you know, you're not going to have a 70-yard touchdown every week, although someone who's more likely to have it is Jonathan Taylor, who brings in a big back body, brings some of those Chris Johnson types of long touchdown potential. You think back to Chris Johnson, I think a lot of people kind of remember the tail end of his career where he was a little bit of a punchline because the first defender who managed to get, you know, a fingertip on him would bring him down. (laughs) You forget the fact this is someone with, Uh, yards from scrimmage record because no one ripped off 70 and 80 yard touchdowns like chris johnson but the fact that taylor was very involved as a receiver early and then the touches they gave to him late in the game when they're trying to protect are hard, and they're essentially running him into a heavy front i mean it's going to be much more difficult to create positive fantasy points out of that i mean he actually loses some points with all of these rushes at the end of the game now you're talking about fractions but if you lost by you know two tenths you're probably frustrated that the uh, Colts managed to lose yards rushing the ball at the end of the game. I think that they'll trail. I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to have these receiving touches. The number one, you just get that point for the reception, but then also when you get that guy in space, I don't think there's anyone more dynamic in the entire NFL.
2: Yeah. He looked like a player that can define the season uh, on that long touchdown. And I'm so encouraged by him. We, you know, they went to Marlon Mack in some spots. It was kind of frustrating, and, he, and then he, he comes out as a trade candidate again. I, the way I've been thinking about that almost entirely is, like, they're, they're trying to get something out of him in trade. Does he go to the Kansas City Chiefs? I, I hope so, for Taylor's sake. I mean, I don't know that I would really even be that in on Mack, but Mack is just so clear. He had a couple nice runs in this game, and, I, I mean, I, it's uh, very similar to what you're saying with Cook and Madison, and I wrote about it in, in Signals, but I felt like they were very well-blocked plays, and Mack didn't really look like that amazing if taylor was in on those plays he he gained the same amount of yards and potentially breaks a long touchdown or something that blows their game open like they they don't have the they're not good enough to not be giving jonathan taylor those touches (laughs) like i don't what are you doing and even as mac has made some plays it's just you have to get the ball to the one guy that it's it's like derrick henry in tennessee and i think we'll trend that way if they don't wind up trading him i don't think we'll see mac have the type of role that he had this week after the trade deadline. I, I really do believe that. I think they'll have to make Jonathan Taylor such a focus in, unless their season's just done, which they are one and four. So maybe we're headed that way. That That is sort of a, a concern. But yeah, I'm excited about Taylor the rest of the way. You talked a little bit about Eckler's uh, f- efficiency and how far above he is. One thing I wanted to note that I think is interesting for a guy like him, that's being so efficient. And one of the things I try to remember with EP, and I know I know you do is like, in part, they limit their own EP numbers by their efficiency. So gotta re- recognize how these things work together. Like for a guy like Eckler, when he has been consistently scoring from like six or eight or 10 yards out, there's other backs that run for four yards get tackled and then they get two more carries at the two and they wind up getting additional uh, expected points, right? Right, yep,
1: exactly.
2: And then there's, you know, the long touchdowns obviously just you know take take the offense off the field. So that is something that, to keep in mind. When you see the high efficiency, it's not just, oh, he doesn't have a good workload. We have to regress all this efficiency. In some ways, when you have a ton of efficiency in any offense, I remember back in the day never figuring out how to project Aaron Rodgers because he was so efficient for a lot of years and early in his career as a passer, but he would never have big pass volume. Those things were inextricably linked. He was so efficient as a passer in yards per attempt and a touchdown rate since – that he wouldn't throw a lot of passes because they would get ahead of in games and then they would need to run. And if you're that efficient as a passer, you're not throwing for more volume. We see it all the time in you know individual game situations. Uh, Josh Allen, great example this week. I think he was 15 for 26. His first nine completions went for 260 yards. He averaged almost 30 yards per completion against the Chiefs. That's why he only completed 15 passes. That's why he only threw 26 times because their drives were done because they were gaining these huge chunks. You know, when you go back and look at Stephon Diggs only getting five targets in this game, it's not, it wasn't great. We would like to see him get these chunk plays, but the fact that Dawson Knox had the long touchdown and Emmanuel Sanders had the long touchdown and all of those things ultimately probably going to be good for digs long-term. And also it just was taking the bills off the field. They didn't even need to throw They're They're having their way with the chief secondary. So there wasn't a lot of pass volume, all those things. So an important, just little note to remember when we're talking about efficiency opportunity, that these things interact in ways that it's not apples to apples. Always, it, you know, Austin Eckler's workload is not apples to apples with, Najee Harris is, for example, when he's been negative efficient, that's creating more opportunities for Najee Harris in a
1: way that Eckler scoring is is creating fewer for him. Exactly right, and that's a good thing to mention. And another sort of point of encouragement to listeners: So we're not saying don't take values. We're not saying don't you know use the SOS streamer to find uh, schedule-based opportunities to move players. Certainly, you see things with likely game script and expected totals as you look at some of the matchups that come forward but if you're going to move some of these stars make sure you get great packages in return even including in dynasty so it was a a big week for some of the best players in the nfl that's a lot of fun to see then our rosters will bounce back this next week and that'll do it for today's episode of stealing bananas i'm sean siegel with me as always is ben gretchen you can follow at yards per gretch and definitely sign up for his Newsletter stealing signals. We talk about it on the show. People rave about it. Uh, anywhere that intelligent fantasy football is discussed, absolutely love it. Make sure you do that. We're doing a lot of fun things at Rotoviz. A lot of our young writers are doing fantastic work with the new advanced stats tool that we have on the site there. If you want a 10% discount to Rotoviz, use the code RBRadio2021 at check out. uh, Give us a rating and review. Please subscribe to our feed. You'll get some of the shows earlier that way. And until Friday, make sure you get those bids in tonight.